And you can live in the day. Welcome uh, to Man in the Making. If my voice hasn't been annoying enough and, and too nasally, it is even worse today. My apologies. I'm going through a bit of a flu here, but uh, the recording must go on. Rokas, hello. Hello, Rush. Good to see you. Good to we see, can you see well. each other. The, the audience cannot see you or I, but we can see each other. Um, one day we'll, one day we'll get some of these videos out. I mean, almost every episode is filmed. We'll have to put it on YouTube one day. All right. So Rokas, you had some, something for us today. Yes. I would like to dedicate this episode to a discussion on ego because you've talked about it quite a lot and you mentioned in your book as well, but I still haven't properly, properly grasp the concept so i'd like to go through it with you properly in this episode so i think we'll start off with what is ego okay i like to go back to old texts and reference them because this is where the teachings all come from so i pulled up the yoga sutras here that's a an ancient text written a little over two thousand years ago by um, Sage Patanjali, who's an old dude who uh, did a lot of meditation. And he basically wrote the text on yoga. I'm trying to see what he says about ego, because I know what I say, but I mean, I, res- I respect this guy's work. This is like the, some of the deepest meditation texts ever written, but it's hard to understand. My guru made it part of his life's work to write a commentary on this text, the Yoga Sutras. And uh, he went with it. He went through his his commentary with us. I don't think he's published it either. So we got kind of an in-depth in look. It talks about karma, talks about the mantra Om, obstacles to meditation, not one search on ego can be found i find that hard to believe oh another way to call ego is i amness so the i am is ego the the sense of of awareness individual awareness that there's an i there that's a basic way to describe ego now, the, it gets more complicated when you realize that not only is ego the illusionary identity of I or you thinking that you are the body, right? It's a false, as we've mentioned before, ego is a false sense of identity. It's Rokas thinking that he's, he was, he's Rokas and then that that story is real. That's ego, how much of it? Everything. So my it's my whole life, like everything I've been through, or the I through that, who I think I am through all of that. Is that all ego? No, your that's karma. Your ego is is just your awareness or your identification with your karma. To identify with your karma 
as that which is you and permanent and real is is believing in ego that's that's ego to identify with that is suffering now everyone is doing that right most people are doing that that's normal i mystically had an insight that ego is this uh fabric of everything and we're like the ocean we're in an ocean and the water is ego basically and everyone is wrapped up inside of it now that's really not correct according to the ancient text because in hinduism everything is not ego everything is maya um, or illusion a perfect beautiful illusion so really the ocean in my example is maya um, and the individual swimming around is ego but i don't know i i like the insight that i came up with i totally um, understand it uh-huh understand what the analogy you gave i still don't follow it's probably not a very good analogy let's try another one uh well did you understand the identification definition I didn't really understand the thing you said of karma either. No. All right. So what is karma? Uh, I'll ask you. Wait, you ask me. I don't know. That's another thing. You must know. Uh, okay, talking. let's see. You um, can't get away that easily. What you've, what you've been through, that's all karma, is okay. what you said, right? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, what you're meant to go through, probably also karma. Yeah. So action, reaction is karma. Action, reaction. Action, so reaction. to go more in depth on that, when you do something, then is the reaction karma? Uh-huh, uh-huh. When you did something, it was karma. And then the reaction was the boomerang coming back was karma. The thought is karma. An idea, uh, a word right? This podcast is karma. We're setting something in motion. Setting something in motion. So what is not karma? Yeah, that's a great question. That was my next question for you. What is what is not karma? So given everything we've talked about this past year or so, can you take a guess at what is not karma? So the first thing that popped in my head was an object. Oh. So is an object, does an object have anything to do with karma? Um, yeah, an object can be karma. An object is not typical in that answer. Um, I can tell you every object in my office right now uh, has karma to it. Meaning what? Meaning it has it has a vibration. It has it has a story behind it. It has desire behind it. Someone wants it. I mean, we're minimalists, okay. so so everything that we own is for an, for a purpose. We 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 don't really own anything that has no purpose. So there's a karma there. So if now, you no, go break ahead, everything down to the smallest as a particle, I think would be an atom, right? So uh -huh. what is an atom's karma? 
um to to be in motion i would guess i guess still motion so even the smallest thing is still in motion yeah so then how do you break that down well to go to go back to what is the answer to what is not karma is meditation oh interesting okay makes sense so meditation is the only time that we are not creating karma we are not involved as patanjali would say we're not involved in the kleshas the kleshas are uh ignorance i amness right or ego attraction aversion and clinging to life so those are uh my guru says the in the commentary these five kleshas can all be attenuated by the practice of of kriya yoga ultimately the kleshas can be completely obliterated through the experience of samadhi which is deep meditation so uh that helps describe i think i believe klesha also means poison it helps describe um some of the suffering around surrounded by life um and so ego is one of those ego is the second one in the list ignorance ego attraction aversion and clinging to life clinging to life or clinging to the gunas um okay so here's a definition he gives for ego identification as it were of the powers of vision and visioner the comment says visioner is the soul the powers of vision is referring to our intellect so uh a, a vision and attraction to our uh, intellect as being one of the definitions here of Could the identification the definition again the identification of soul and intellect soul with intellect i'm sorry okay oh. so Okay, so identification, right? I identify as, right? I identify as my iPhone. That would be crazy. Uh, replace iPhone with uh, intellect. I am my intelligence. I am, I, am, I am nothing more than my intellect, right? That's what a lot of people believe. And... You ask them what happens after you die, and then they say nothing, right? Once the intellect dies, then there's nothing. So that's a, that's a, a sort of atheistic uh, perspective on life. So let's say not intellect and something like compassion. Is that not ego then? Are you, what, are you, what are you referring to, though? Identifying with compassion? Um, that's getting so, close. So the ancient yoga, you know, um, also calls the soul love. Mm -hmm. So if you identify as love, as pure love and light, that's typical. You, you know, you're kind of getting there, right? So you can identify the soul with that. That would be the correct way, right? And not intellect. Well, see, see, you're already separating soul and intellect or compassion and soul or love and soul. Okay. The idea is that if you believe in ego or if you are unaware of soul, 
then you're not saying any, you're not saying soul. You're not saying ego. You're just saying, I am the body. I am the mind. I am the brain. I am intelligence. That's it. You're not identifying with anything else. Once you start to identify as something else, you create a distinction, a separation. And all of a sudden, there may be two things, body and something else. Now, the path of yoga is discovering what that thing is which is one word for it is soul or spirit. One of the attributes or character traits of soul is compassion, is love. And, and some say it's, it's pure love. Like they, they, they define the entire being, soul being as love or light. So when you ask yourself, who am I? Is that what you're saying now? You're a soul of love and why those sort of things yeah yeah mm -hmm. i mean what am i is a um, one of the oldest yogic questions and, and ancient meditations there is who am i i'm just saying that so so without overthinking it too much you've got a good comprehension of karma as defined by myself setting things in motion mm-hmm and let's go back to ego because uh, it's still there's still a lot left um how do you feel about ego so illusionary identity of i understood that okay but then i didn't understand when they say in your book you referred to as i don't think you said everything but the i can't remember the exact quote either or something like the hunter the hunted and something else like along those lines i didn't understand that um i think i used a typical eastern analogy of of the experience the experiencer and the one who experiences uh something like that okay. and that's a way to describe uh, the watcher that's a way to to observe ego if you look at an experience there's the experience there are the, the awarenesses involved in the experience. And then there's that which captures everything. That's the watcher. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to back away from all that and say, those are ways to, those are ways to explain life or reality. Okay. And, and the camera lenses of reality. So if you're filming a movie, you have the actors you have the camera lens filming the actors and you have the audience. So it's this full 3D spectrum. Sorry, Tantarot, what's different? What's the difference between the camera and the audience? Well, I don't know. Think about it. What is the difference? There's two, there are two different cameras, right? The audience can see the camera and the actors. The oh, camera okay. can only see the actors. Okay. So you have limited perspectives in both the actors and the camera, but the audience has some sort of advantage. They can see the thing. Not only can they see the movie being played out, but they can see the movie being filmed and being made into a movie. So the idea in yoga 
and I and and to not identify with ego is to be the audience, even if you are the actor or or the the camera in a situation. Right? It's to it's to back up, it's to it's to zoom out from your perspective. So let's say I'm in an argument with with someone. And we talked about this in the last one, I think. Mm -hmm. If I can simultaneously calm down and visualize, like see myself from a third person perspective and see myself and the other person arguing, I have a chance at recognizing the, the uselessness of the argument. And it's that detachment from ego. Yes. It's, it's, it's a start. It's a start because it's a, it's detachment from a false identification because we get heated in an argument because we become, we somehow become that which is being argued, argued. We become the topic. We, we defend something. Um, we, 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 we defend a point of view or belief and we've already forgotten what we really are. And in yoga, that's important because we want to always remember that we are the watcher. We're the audience. We're not the actors. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Okay. So that's why that's what the triangle tries to explain. The experience, the experiencer, and the experienced. That's what that's trying to say. If I didn't currently have a head cold, I would probably understand that a little better. But to move it to the movie theater one makes more sense to me. Yeah, it does. Okay. So all of that really explains why we suffer. One of the points of this this teaching and the reason, one of the main reasons to talk about it is that we want to not suffer as much in life. That's what every Eastern philosophical text vows to solve. How can I suffer less and know more? How can I have suffer less and gain more understanding of that, which is real and permanent? So my understanding of that is you want challenges, Uh but you want, you want to overcome those challenges and learn from them, but you want to suffer less while going through those challenges. Yeah, well, you want a you want challenges on your own um, on your own terms. You, you want conscious challenges. See, it's the unconscious challenge that really fucks with you. It's the it's the my car my car broke down on the way to an important meeting, and I'm really pissed off, and I have no idea what's going on. That's unconscious, right? Like, how could this happen to me? How could this happen to me? But it's the conscious observer, right? You know, trying to observe what's going on while going through the challenge and and knowing that this is a karma, this happened for a reason. I need to get this done as efficiently as possible. I can still make it. Um, This is just another thing that's going to help me in life. And it's something I had to go through. It's the two different perspectives. It's the same situation, but two different perspectives can completely change the outcome and and the karma. So one person who unconsciously goes through the challenge 
suffers. The one who consciously goes through it doesn't suffer, but they, they simply uh, like level up almost as they, as they go through another experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. To every negative, there's a positive. You just need to be open and try to find the positive. In it. Or you might not realize the positive at the time, but you might know later. Well, yeah. And the challenge is, is during the negative, right? During the car breaking down, it's hard to see yeah. the positive because the positive may come a year later. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, oh, I was late to that meeting. I didn't get hired to the job, but I ended up getting a job that I, uh, I absolutely loved or whatever. Yep. Or <laughs> the, the lady that came with the tow truck, you know, eventually became my wife, you know, stuff, something like that. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like how I flipped the genders on that? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the idea. I mean, who knows about the details, but that's the point. But so, okay, let's make sure we don't get too off track. Does that help a further understanding of this identification of this, this false identification known as ego? So now we just went through conscious and unconscious. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so the, un, so who is identifying with ego and karma in that, in those two scenarios? What do you mean? The person who's experiencing it? Yeah. The, 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 the car wreck on the side of the road, which one is identifying with ego and which one is identifying with spirit? All right. So the first example where um, you don't understand why it happened. Let's say you blame the universe, like you don't understand why, then that would be ego. Right. Whereas the other one, which sees it as, like you don't know at the time, but there's a positive to every negative, like in that way, then that would be soul, identifying with soul. Right. Because spirit tends to go with the flow, but ego tends to react and defensively and and hold on cling on to life that's that's one of those clashes clinging on to life clinging to life so we know we're identifying with ego if we're stuck in one of the clashes okay if we're stuck in ignorance i amness attraction aversion and clinging to life so again, attraction, right? Like we talk about this a lot, attraction and aversion, likes and dis- dislikes, right? I have likes and dislikes. You, 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 you know that about me. So am I identifying with ego at that moment? With likes and dislikes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's and that's okay it's 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 totally fine to play in the world it's there's that's what that's what the world is here for but as long as we understand that it's temporary it's it's something that we don't depend on for long lasting fulfillment then it's okay it's when it goes too far and it becomes our identity that we can really be hurt or lose ourselves and lose the ultimate meaning and purpose of 
of our life. Now, that's some people's lives. That's what they're supposed to do. Well, I'm talking to the yogis who don't want that, don't want to be fully engrossed and identify with a like or a dislike. Um, I'm not talking to the professional athlete. I'm not talking to the professional poker player or snowboarder. Those people identify with their sport. That's what they're supposed to do for the first 30 years of their life. That's, that's the point. They need to fully identify with that or else they will not be able to be professional at it. I'm talking to the, the, the yogis who want to understand why their attachment to life has caused them so much suffering. Now, um, another cool thing about the yoga sutras is this. This, this is a cool statement. The kleshas, okay, so those five poisons we just talked about, are the root source of stored karma. And this may be experienced in the present visible birth or in an unseen future birth. I thought that was interesting. So the commentary goes, the kleshas are also the causes of our actions that relate to worldly pursuits. All such actions create karma. So long as this root source exists, there also is fruition from, its of one, from it of one's class, lifespan, and life experiences. This verse is stating that our karma determines our birth status, span of life, and experiences in that life. These are pleasant and or unpleasant as the fruit of meritorious and non-meritorious actions, respectively, right? That's just the nature of our karma. It's either good or bad. Here's the most um, well-known verse from the entire Yoga Sutras. This is the most, this is the most well-known uh, text in yoga right here. Men of discrimination see sorrow in all experience, whether from the sorrow of impermanence, from the anguish coming from samskara, which is previous trauma, or from the gunas, which is um, the various aspects of life, causing conflicting mental activities. So from the anguish of past trauma, or aspects of life causing conflicting mental activities. And the mental activities are sleep, fantasy, incorrect knowledge, correct knowledge, and memory. So men of discrimination. Right now, you and I are men of discrimination. Why? We are detached. To discriminate means to pick out what is necessary and to leave what is unnecessary to discriminate okay. right that's that's one ver that's one definition of discrimination if, if, if helena said go get all of the apples in the fridge and put them in a bag so we can go on this hike with our apples and i open the fridge all of a sudden my value hierarchy needs to put apples at the top and it needs to pick apart between what's an apple and what's an orange and what's a cucumber. 
So I all of a sudden become a discriminatory value motivated behavioral judgment machine and apples give me the most rewards or correct outcomes. So that's discrimination to be able to pick what is beneficial and what is not. And in this moment, apples are beneficial, oranges are not. So I can choose between the two. Okay. So men of discrimination, okay, men who can see that which is beneficial and what is not, see sorrow in all experience, whether from impermanence, right, a good thing ending, from the anguish of past trauma, huh? we can all relate to that, or from the aspects of life that cause, cause conflicts with sleep, memory, knowledge, and fantasy. But why see sorrow? <laughs> because all of the all of things in life, if you identify, if you're not of discrimination and you identify as an aspect of life, you will eventually uh, realize that that thing is not permanent, right? If I identify as being a, a, a professional snowboarder and one day I am not a professional snowboarder, what's going to happen? I'm going to have a crisis, an identity crisis. You need to be able to go from identity to detachment and back and forth with discrimination. I was a professional snowboarder. Now I coach snowboarding, right? You don't want to be, I, I don't know who I am anymore because I don't snowboard. And so I, I'm an alcoholic, <laughs> right? And that's, that happens a lot to people. Yeah. So this is a hardcore phrase. I mean, you don't want to necessarily see sorrow in all experience. I think if you're not a monk. I what think, does sorrow mean? Maybe I have the wrong definition of it. Uh, I don't know. Like I'm going to look it up with you. But to me, sorrow means unhappiness. A feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other misfortune suffered by oneself or others. Yeah. So why are you feeling deeply distressed if you're detached? No, no, if you're not detached. But it's oh, discrimination. discrimination. So that would mean you take... That means but... that they can see, they can see the potential for life to cause pain. You see, they're the audience. They're the audience. Okay, so this is just the they're not the observing. Actor. Okay, they're the watcher. Okay, I thought it was for people going through it, but this is men of discrimination. So observing, right? And yes, the people, okay. the actors, the people going through it, do not know why they're suffering. They do not know. They're ignorant. They do not understand. Is it because they don't discriminate? Correct. Okay. And they don't detach. Okay. They are fully steeped inside the, the movie as the, the, they are the actors. They don't believe that there's a camera or an audience. They don't believe that. 
They don't know that. No one's ever told them that, or they're in doubt. What do you mean they don't believe there's a camera? Because as an actor, you act for a camera. Well, we're using metaphorical. Okay, okay, my bad. Okay. <laughs> Went a bit too deep there. So my guru commented on that and said, this is the traditional explanation of the law of karma. The karmic reaction created by meritorious actions are pleasant experiences in the future. The karmic reaction created by non-meritorious actions are unpleasant experiences in the future. What does non-merit, non-merit, non-meritorious? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Uh, that did that which does not fruit um, merit. <laughs> Okay. Or, oh, or, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. okay or okay. reason for praise. Okay. A okay. non praiseworthy action. Okay. That which is that he goes on, uh, uh, Patanjali goes on to say. So, so this text is all written in verse. There's like a hundred verses or something. So that's how, that's how ancient Hindu scripture is written. It's in verse. It's not just like paragraphs and stories and stuff. That which is to be overcome is sorrow that is yet to come. Uh, What's the significance of that? Okay. Okay. This is the car breaking down on the road. Yeah. Okay. The commentary. This is accomplished by acting free from the influences of the glaciers. All right. So the car has not broken down yet. What we need to overcome is the sorrow, the sorrow from in the future. Okay. So if I we read, are, this- sorry for interrupting. I read a text about that. Uh, it was about if you, let's say I have this cup and if I saw this cup as already broken, then I wouldn't be sad if it broke because I already, I knew that its existence was temporary and I already saw it as a broken cup. So it's uh-huh. similar to that, right? Yeah. Didn't I write that in the book? Uh, I'm not sure, but it's an actual text I can send. It's like called Broken Glass or something. Oh, I th- so I, I've used the broken glass, the broken cup example before. But yeah, that, that's exactly right. Especially if you're in a car and, and any car, except for a Tesla maybe, can break down <laughs> on the side of the road. Um, so that which is to be overcome is sorrow that is yet to come so sorrow for us really can just mean challenge okay so if we're detached and we can discriminate and we're powerful effective people not identifying with the world and the ego but identifying with that which is always powerful that which is is changeless that which is a full energy 100% 100% energy. Uh, we are um, ready for the next challenge in the, that is yet to come. Okay. That is what the yogi vows to, to do. So he goes on to say the identity of awareness. Ooh, the experiencer with what is experienced is the cause of that which is to be overcome. Oh, man, this is deep. I didn't follow. Oh my God. What? I didn't follow. All right. Could you yeah, repeat? There's a, 
there's like a book in this just one <laughs> sentence. The identity of awareness. So he's talking about identity with spirit, spirit now. Or the experiencer. Okay. With what is experienced is the cause of that which is to be overcome. All right. So my guru breaks this one down in a, in a, a paragraph. He says, the idea of awareness or the experiencer mistakenly identifying with what is experienced, okay, talking about ego now, a false identification, with what is experienced is found in a number of verses, each of which gives emphasis to a different aspect of this phenomena. This verse brings out the aspect of the core cause of the pattern of not understanding the true nature of actions based on ignorance, ego, attraction, aversion, clinging to life can all be traced to the mistaken identity of the experiencer for what is experienced, right? So we were just talking about that. We were just talking about that in terms of ego. Ego is the false identity and you, and it's, it's what we're experiencing. Okay. It's the argument. All of a sudden I identify with the argument I'm, I'm in. So it, I play into it and I forget who I really am. All of a sudden I identify with the broken down car and I forget about the powerful energetic being I am. I identify with the, the heartbreak from my spouse divorcing me and I forget who I really am. Okay. That's the, that's the root of all suffering which is why ego is kind of the root of all suffering because our false identity with life makes us forget who we really are. And then that's also where codependence can come in, which is also harmful. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Now the yoga sutras is one of the greatest texts ever because it, it has so much balance in it, right? Like, Okay, so for, if you've listened to this podcast so far, God bless you. But if you've listened this far, you've gotten this, this perspective on ego and detachment and sorrow and suffering. And so all of a sudden, if you didn't know any better, it'd be like, well, why the hell would I want to experience life anyway? This sounds terrible. You know, I'm going to back away into a corner and never, never go outside because it sounds awful. Sounds like you can possibly make some serious mistakes. But Patanjali goes on to say, to round it all out, what is experienced also has the character of brightness, activity, and inertia. It is embodied in the elements and the sense organs, right? Taste, sight, hearing. Its purpose is to provide both experience and liberation. Okay, so the, the gunas, which are the, the aspects, three main aspects of life, we talked about, about this before, sattvic, rajasic, and tamasic. It's not just food, okay? Those are the gunas. Sattvic is brightness, rajasic is activity, tamasic is inertia. That's the dual nature of the world, experience and liberation, so each, so my guru says each soul needs a certain amount of experience in the world 
before it is ready to transcend the world through achieving liberation. So is transcending the world ego death? Yes. Okay. Very good. Yes, it is. So we need the world. We need the world. We need experience. We need all of it. We need the good and the bad and the traumatic and the whatever, the happy, blissful moments. We need the attachment and the sorrow, but we also need the detachment and the yoga. All of it has its place. All of it has its perfect place in our, in our karma. It's all, in the end, it's all good. In the end, everything to the yogi is good. There's not, nothing bad. So he, he goes on a, a bit of another deeper level of uh, the different aspects of the gunas, which I don't want to, it'll get us too far off track. But, but I forgot how good of a text this was about ego. So as we were saying earlier, chapter 2, verse 24, the cause of this false identity is ego. I mean, I'm sorry, is ignorance, okay? Ignorance. We don't, we, we've never heard of anything else. So, of course, we're upset if the car breaks down. We, we don't, are we supposed to be happy if our car breaks down, right? We just don't know. With the disappearance of ignorance, he goes on, the identity also disappears. This is total cessation or total ending of bondage. The aloneness or kaivalya of the power of awareness. Okay, so this is an important phrase. Uh, bondage is, a, is a, an important word too. So uh, bondage is a way to describe how we're, we're, we're shackled to life we're, we're 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 slaves we're like prisoners of of ego's hold so the disappearance of the ignorance the identity also like the shackles come off and we're we're one step closer to kaivalya which is uh, the power of awareness and understanding our aloneness our 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 own ability to renounce and to be free. Okay, so how, how do we make ignorance disappear? Do you know, Rokas? How do you make ignorance disappear? Uh, be presented with another perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the word for that is knowledge. Knowledge. The appearance of knowledge is tend, tends to, to be a, a, a light. In, in mythology, knowledge is, is the light or wisdom. Ignorance is darkness. So uh, we sort of can shine light on darkness with knowledge and claim a power over ignorance. So Patanjali says the, to get knowledge, you practice yoga. He actually says something here that's pretty deep that I don't understand. For one with this unceasing vision of discernment, there arises in the last stage mystical insight, which is sevenfold. 
my guru says uh vyasa gives a list of seven he's he's citing here another commentator there is no need to go through them all i thought just the seventh one would be enough which is in the seventh state the insight reveals the soul abiding in itself pure and alone oh okay so it talks about different types of samadhi a meditation okay so he starts to go into meditation here so when the limbs of yoga are practiced impurities are destroyed and radiant wisdom manifests leading up to the vision of discernment okay so he's talking about ignorance he's talking about ego and darkness and and that to get to get rid of all that stuff we need knowledge how do we get knowledge he says yoga practice the limbs of yoga of which there are eight okay yama Niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi are the eight limbs of yoga. The yamas, yamas are, so here's the eight from what I can remember of what that means. Yama, observance. Niyama, restraint. Okay, so observances and restraints are the first two limbs of yoga observances it's like code of conducts right for a religious for a religious person uh, commandments okay for uh hindus that's non-injury truthfulness non-stealing divine conduct non-covetousness purity contentment austerity self-study and devotion to shiva or god so those are the first two things that a yogi studies is uh character character traits how should you act how should you be as a person and then comes the the fun stuff for all the yogis asana right which literally means posture pranayama breath restraint pratyahara attention dharana concentration jhana meditation or contemplation, more accurately, samadhi, which is deep meditation. Those are the paths of knowledge, which I would agree. I would agree with. I guess I practiced the eight limbs for quite a while, and I feel like that helped me get more knowledge and, and, and dispel ignorance, remove ignorance, Hey, someone asked me on a podcast the other day. I just did two interview spots this past few weeks. And uh, one of them was like, how did you, how did you like get so smart? (laughs) I was like, "Uh, I don't know. No one's ever said that to me. What do you mean you don't know? You said in your book how much you've, you've studied while in the monastery yeah i guess it was it was all the studying and everything but but in that the study is built inside ashtanga yoga which which i think is so one of the niyamas is self-study so i think ashtanga yoga is the answer to that question Ashtanga yoga is powerful, also known as Raja yoga. 
or royal yoga? If it's in your name. Mm-hmm. So um, Patanjali goes on to talk about things that cause uh, ignorance. Uh, interesting. Just some basic stuff like unwholesome deliberations, harming someone through greed or uh, anger or infatuation. Uh, he says, like, don't do stupid stuff like that. He goes real basic on some of these things. In the first few chapters are pretty basic. And then he goes, he, he breaks down some serious stuff behind yoga. And um, he explains spiritual powers, also known as siddhis, which get kind of intense. So he starts talking about some serious stuff, which most people don't need to really dive down deep to. But so let's go back to your understanding. <laughs> Do you feel like... Uh, you explained, yeah, everything well. Um, was there more to ego? Because before you were saying there's still more and then we covered some more. So is there still more or have we covered most of it? Um, you didn't really go in depth on ego death. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Someone, someone just read one of my articles about Dark Knight of the Soul on Medium on ego death, and they, they want to have me on the show and talk about that. So, right. yeah, ego, ego death. Um, so for every transformation, you need a, a death and birth experience. Um, so ego death, right, the, the cessation of ego is, is um, when I think I like this. Um, I kind of came up this with this myself. Never heard anyone else say this. So um, ego death is the overlapping of an old person and a new person in the same body. Okay, so we have Raj, age zero to 22. Okay, Raj one has um, all of the stories and, and identities, all of it wrapped into Raj one. Raj 2 is like 20 to 25 or whatever. Okay, so Raj is trying to be Raj 2, right? He's trying to be a better person. He's trying to get rid of Raj 1. And in the timeline, like the overlapping of the two causes friction and pain and sorrow. When we try to become someone else, but we've been someone for so long, it's really hard. And uh, oftentimes we lose friends over it. Uh, we lose family members. We, 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 we have an identity crisis. That identity crisis is the death of the ego. So it's like this, it's either like this conflict from overlapping or, or a conflict from splitting. Yeah, it's probably like a splitting. And Raj one is all powerful and all knowing. And Raj too is like starting to doubt that. He's like, no, I don't think you're the answer. And then Raj one is like holding on and he's like, wait, wait, I am the answer. And Raj two like liberates himself. <laughs> right. Or this, or anyone who's, who's creating a new persona, 
Okay. So the first version of yourself has to die. And that's the ego death or the dark part of the soul. And um, I think it's the severity of how it feels just depends on how, how much you're trying to achieve, how much you're trying to break away from. If who you are or if who you were is a completely different person, it's going to be super painful to detect. Which was the case for you, right? Yeah. Super painful, right? Also the case for Helena. She had her own dark night of the soul. She became another person and super painful, right? Eckhart Tolle, famous author of The Power of Now. Love that book. Super painful experience. Uh, actually, it was a quick, quick and painful for him, but then led by two years of bliss. He's got a great story. So like I've had clients who've had both painful experiences becoming someone else and then uh some people that it's just like not too difficult because the, for the most part they were okay they just needed some some corrections here and there so it really depends if you have to rewrite the entire code or can you just make an update a software update and like no one even notices that the colors in the background changed or is an entirely new os and all the icons have uh, curvy edges. <laughs> curvy edges icon. First time I heard that. Rounded edges. So that's that's sort of the the death of one part of you and the birth of another, which is the dark night of the soul. Go. Anything else to cover for that? Um. No, I was just. Uh, just make you know we were just answering your question it depends if you still have a question or not is there anything else for ego that you can think of oh i mean something i like to think about is i, I mentioned earlier i really think ego is everything i think the only thing that isn't ego is uh the samadhi or deep meditation but then you I said that's karma not ego yeah I think karma is also like ego. Yeah, I think karma is also ego. Explain. I think, I think so I believe in a, a, a type of creator, right? I, I, I believe in the universe emanating from an energy source. And I think even that is like ego. I think the desire to even create a universe is ego and have the laws of karma inside of it run it. Why is it ego? I'm not following. Like, I understand if you said it was karma, but why is it ego? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an attraction. It's like a, it's like a desire. However, it doesn't make sense though, because um, to be a God you have to be, you have to be unaffected by the clashes, unaffected by the five poisons of like, dislike, I amness or ego, ignorance, and clinging to life. So technically, if there's a God creating the universe, a God is not 
ego doesn't have ego according to the ancient hindu law um i just saw in my notes i had written down when you said about karma being good or bad how can karma be bad um so on one level of perspective karma could be bad because if you if you do something non-meritorious right if you do something evil or bad uh you'll you'll get bad karma in return right so if you hurt someone you'll probably be hurt in the future but then you said in one perspective because then the other perspective if you zoom out is that it was meant to happen yeah yeah so it's 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 not good or bad from the highest perspective it's just experience this person experienced being killed by this person this person then experiences being killed by another person. This person experienced being robbed at gunpoint. It's, it's, uh, then they, they go on to, after so many experiences, they go on to do normal things, right? Like help people, feed children in starving countries, et cetera, et cetera. It, all, it's all the same person, mystically. I mean, in, in Hindu tradition. It's it, it. There's no. There's not two people. There's not seven billion people in the world. There's just one person. Oh, I didn't understand that. Yeah. So, mystically, like in the highest perspective, there's just one soul. That's split up into, and so let's just say into Correct. billions of souls, and it's experiencing freedom. Well, into billions of bodies. Oh right, my bad. Yeah, yeah. the billions of bodies and it's experience. The energy, but the, yeah, the energy source behind it is is connected to the same hub. It's it's the same same thing. The energy yeah. that runs Infinite my laptop, consciousness, camera, light, microphone, all the energy going through that electricity is the same electricity, but it manifests through different devices. What is it called? An infinite consciousness. Yeah, you could call it an infinite consciousness. Consciousness by nature, I think, is infinite. Consciousness by nature is infinite. I guess I'll ask that in the next podcast. 